Well, so we're going to continue to read in Exodus, uh, and we're picking up the story in Exodus chapter 15, uh, which you can find on page 73 in your pew Bibles. So we read from Exodus chapter 15, beginning at verse 22. And this is God's word. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then, the Lord, then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. And then verse 10. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. Then the, when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. 
And when they measured it by the omer, he who had gathered much did not have too much, and he who had gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. And this is God's word. Amen. Well, we've been reminded that God supplies all our needs. And so for our second Bible reading, we're going to continue to read from uh, the book of Exodus. uh, And we're going to read verses 1 through to 7 of chapter 17, which you find on page 75. And then we're going to turn to some verses in the New Testament uh, in 1 Corinthians. But first of all, Exodus 17, verse 1. So God has provided the people quail, meat to eat, and he has provided manna, bread to eat as well. Chapter 17, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink, so they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And then glance over, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and you will find that on page 1151. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters that our forefathers were under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was... Christ. 
And we pray that God will grant us understanding of this reading from His Holy Word. The children of Israel had experienced not one, but two of the greatest miracles witnessed ever by humankind. On the Lord's instruction as a culmination of the plagues, on a given night, a lamb without spot, without blemish, was sacrificed. And those households which were protected by the blood of the lamb, the angel of death passed over those houses, and the people's sins were atoned for, and they were set free. After generations of being slaves in Egypt, the Hebrews were liberated to exit, released from captivity, extricated from the shackles of their past. And then when the king of Egypt changed his mind and pursued the Israelites, seeking to bring them back into captivity, the triune God intervened again. The angel from God, who is God, stood between the people and the approaching enemies. The Spirit of God separated the waters of the Red Sea, and then the Lord fought for His people and opened up a whole new future for them to walk into. It is an astonishing picture of salvation told and retold throughout the Scriptures. Take Moses' song in Exodus 15 as an example. I will sing unto the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider He has thrown into the sea. Or Isaiah 43, where the Lord, through His prophet, proclaims, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name you are mine. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Not once, but twice, God intervened in human history. And yet now, Exodus 16 verse 2 in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. And chapter 17, verse 3, But the people were thirsty for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? What are we to make of these responses of the Hebrew people to the Lord who had saved them? Well, for the answer, it may be helpful to turn to Exodus 17, 1 through to 7 page 75. For here we see both the people's complaint and also the Lord's response. So we pray. 
Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, in so many ways we are blind to the truth and resistant to Your voice. How we need eyes to see and ears to hear wonderful things from Your Word. May the same Spirit who parted the waters of the Red Sea all those years ago do a miracle within our lives. And what we ask is for Jesus' sake. Amen. What I wonder is the worst food you have ever had to eat. I'm not talking Bear Grylls, expeditions, but regular meals. The current budget, I understand, for the public sector prisons in the United Kingdom for three meals is two pounds, two pence per person per day. Simone told the ladies at PW on Thursday night that for the last three months of her stay in Nepal, she survived on a diet of rice cakes and peanut butter. Well, the Israelites weren't pleased with their food quality or allocation either. In the desert, they had no bread. They had no meat. And so unhappy were they that they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And with both amnesia and nostalgia, recalled the wonderful barbecues that they'd been able to enjoy back in the prison camp that was Egypt. And so God, in His mercy, provided them with both bread and meat in the form of manna and quail. And they weren't content with their drinks allocation either, because in chapter 17, verse 2, we read they quarreled with Moses. And that's an even stronger term than grumbled. They quarreled with him and demanded, give us water to drink. Not, please, can you pray, or please, can you lead us to a place where we can get refreshed, but give us water. And the implication is, get it, and get it for us now or else. And that's certainly the context, because verse 4 tells us, Moses cried out to the Lord, and no wonder, what am I to do with these people? He said, I'm even in a more precarious place than Theresa May at the Tory party conference. They are almost ready to stone me. And here again, the Lord answered Moses, verse 5, similar to his kindness and generosity before, but here with a very particular difference. Walk ahead of the people, he said. Take with you some of the elders of Israel. In other words, don't go on your own. Take some of the legally-minded leaders with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, that is, the shepherd's rod, which had been so critical in the controlling of the plagues back in Egypt. And behold, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. Now, what we have here is a scenario, while superficially looking the same as what we have seen before, is actually quite different from any of the other complaints that we've encountered hitherto. 
Because here in verse 2, although it is Moses that they quarreled with, because he is the leader they could see, although it is Moses that they grumbled against, it was actually the Lord that they were angry with. Do you see that in verse 7? It was the Lord they were actually questioning. Is the Lord among us or not? In one of his essays on theology and ethics called God in the Dark, C.S. Lewis has this most searching comment. This is what he wrote. Ancient man approached God as an accused person approaches his judge. For modern man, the roles are quite reversed. He is the judge, and God is in the dock. Well, that's very discerning, except from Exodus 17, it would appear that ancient man also took on the role of judge, placing God in the dock. And that's exactly what happened here. In this place called Rephidim, which incidentally means rest, there was far from rest. There was rebellion. Instead of respectful dialogue, there was contemptuous dissension, causing the place, verse 7, to be renamed Massa, the place of testing. For here, instead of God bringing the people to trial for their ingratitude, after all He had done for them in the Passover, the Exodus, the deliverance through the Red Sea, after the provision of meat and bread, instead of God bringing the people to trial for their ingratitude, the people were bringing charges against the Lord for neglect. Instead of the Lord putting the Hebrews in the dock for insubordination and insurrection, it is the people who are belligerently putting God on trial and even arguing arrogantly about His very existence. Is this not absolutely contemporaneous? Were you as gobsmacked as I was to watch how when being questioned about his former attitude to alcohol, Judge Kavanaugh turned the question he was being asked by the senator who was investigating him back on her? It's not me, self-centered me, who is accountable to God. It is God who is accountable to me. And so in hospital, in spite of the Lord's unfailing love in His provision over many years, His salvation, His deliverances, His miraculous interventions, His provision of food and shelter, we say, Lord, prove Yourself to me. Nah! With a clear implication, if you don't, I'll stop believing in you. Is the Lord among us or not? Or in the classroom, in spite of the fact that there are 15 constants in the universe, including gravity, properties of carbon, and thermodynamics, 15 constants which have to be exactly in tune with one another for the universe to exist, the chances of this happening are so 
infinitesimal that the odds are 10 to the power of more zeros than atoms that exist in the entire universe. And in spite of that, we say, Lord, why haven't you proved yourself as being more visible? Is the Lord among us or not? This is an aside, by the way, but I heard the chances of what I've just explained of all the constants in the universe being exactly in tune with one another for the universe even to exist. The chances of that put another way. If you were to take a euro coin and put it on the ground in France and then cover the whole of France with euros and then build them up in, the co in a column all the way up to the moon and then do the same for the whole of Europe, and then do that 1,000 times over, then let's say you took one of those coins and put a pink dot on it and randomly inserted it back into the pile of coins, going all the way back up to the moon, and then you asked a blindfolded child to pick out that one coin, the chance of the kid doing that successfully would be the equivalent chance of the universe existing with just exactly all those right constants in place. And yet we say with belligerent arrogance, is the Lord among us or not? I think all of this came about by chance. No wonder later in the journey, just after the giving of the Ten Commandments, actually you can see it in Deuteronomy 6 verse 16, we read these words, do not put the Lord to the test as you did at Massa. But here's the point. And this is what is so different about this story compared with the other complaining stories that we've encountered to date. When Israel put God to the test in reply to Moses, verse 4, while he could so easily have devastated them with his response, the Lord did, in fact, submit himself to judgment his own judgment. Go, said the Lord to Moses, verse 6. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders at Israel. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, which we read together, the Apostle Paul, with penetrating insight, said, and they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. When Moses struck the rock before which the Lord stood, in verse 6, and water gushed forth, the Lord demonstrated everything about which the people had charged him of neglecting. By the rock at Horeb, God provided, God protected, God granted them his presence. 
And Paul the Apostle says that rock was Christ. For 1,500 years later, the Lord Jesus, who had been absolutely perfect and yet put in the dock by His own people, was struck and tortured and humiliated and accused. To use the words of Isaiah chapter 53, he was despised and rejected, wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us rest was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. For on the cross, God himself submitted to the judgment he did not deserve, so that we who deserve nothing but judgment might instead enjoy streams of living water. And when the writer of John's gospel tells us the soldier at Jesus' crucifixion struck Jesus' side with a rod, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water, it wasn't merely to tell us that Jesus was dead. It was telling us that out of Christ Jesus, a spring of living water wells up to eternal life, and those who drink of this water which He gives will never thirst again. We pray together. And in our prayers, as we recall with gratitude all that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has done for us, so we also bring to Him people who weigh heavily upon our hearts right now. That tiny wee two-week-old baby so cruelly abused in Analog. And pray for all who have responsibility for that little one's care. For the poor benighted people of Sulawesi province in Indonesia, hungry and thirsty, shocked and bereaved after the earthquake and tsunami. We pray for aid agencies and government efforts to bring relief from suffering and pain. For people who weigh heavily upon our hearts, those in need physically, emotionally, spiritually. Our gracious Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as you stood before the rock at Horeb and vicariously took the blame, bore the wrath in your own person for our sin and our salvation, enable us to quit grumbling, to stop quarreling, Enable us to draw from the life-giving flood of your grace.
live compassionate, joyful, liberated lives for the sake of others and the honor of your holy name. And these prayers we offer in the name and for the sake of Christ, our rock, our redeemer. Amen.